What is it like to be a person of color and a frontline fundraiser in North America? In today's podcast, Richard and I speak with the editors of a new book called Collecting Courage. It's a collection of firsthand stories of frontline fundraisers of color and their experience working in the mostly white nonprofit sector. We invite you to listen in on our conversation. Welcome to the Nothing But Major Gifts podcast from Veritas Group, featuring Richard Perry and Jeff Schreifels. Twice a month, we bring you the latest and best thinking about major gift fundraising, so you can develop authentic relationships with your major donors. Here are your hosts, Richard and Jeff. Welcome to the podcast today. I'm Jeff Schreifels, and Richard and I are thrilled to have some very special Mm -hmm. guests with us today. If you follow our blog closely, you may remember that I shared a book review. In fact, it's the only book review we've ever done on our our blog. Um, But I shared this book review over the summer uh, of a book called Collecting Courage. Mm. And this book is amazing. This is, it's a collection of stories from black fundraisers, both in the United States and in Canada speaking their truth about the experiences they've had in the nonprofit sector. And I really believe, and Richard, I know you believe that this is an app, this book is an absolute gift and it, yep. it opened up my eyes to things I would have never heard as a white male leader in the nonprofit sector. I mean, you're absolutely right, Jeff. It's, it's so, so important for nonprofit leaders and the nonprofit sector more broadly to really, really understand the experiences of black fundraisers so that changes can be made. So, so today, this is what's so exciting. We're talking to the editors of that book, Collecting Courage. Awesome, I know. Now, before we get started, let's, I'm gonna do a brief descript- or introduction of everyone. So we have with us Nicole Salmon, who has over 25 years of fundraising and senior leadership experience And in 2014, Nicole founded Boundless Philanthropy. Mm -hmm. Uh, And she currently serves on the board of two nonprofit organizations. And she's a member of the Canadian Black Fundraisers Collect. Pretty cool. Next, we have Camilla Pereira. She is a fundraising professional in Toronto and a coach to Brazilians involved in philanthropy and fundraising in Brazil and Canada. And she holds a PhD in public policy administration and international relations from Howard University. Mm. And finally, we have Nika Allen. She's a black woman, a descendant of the Underground Railroad. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. An Ojibwa of, of the Anderton Nation, and a mother, a mama, and a sixth generation Canadian, and the principal and founder of the Empathy Agency. Welcome, everyone. Oh my God, that, that's, a, that's an amazing credentials there. <laughs> Great to be here. <laughs> Thank, Thank you. you. It's so good that you're here with us. It really is. So we're so glad to have a chance to sit down with you all. And so here's what I want to, I want to start off with a question to, to kick things off. Uh, what inspired and motivated you to create this collection of stories, uh, Nika? What Maybe you could address that. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much, Richard. And thank you, Jeff, for that beautiful introduction. We're really happy to be with you today. So the origin story of Collecting Courage actually began in 2018. 
um, on a completely different project. Hmm. Um, I had just founded the Black Canadian Fundraisers Collective and was feeling particularly disappointed that uh, there weren't more Black female Canadian uh, fundraisers being represented um, through our membership organization, the Association of Fundraising Professionals. Mm. And uh, at the same time, the AFP was, um, they put out a call for proposals. And I thought, maybe, maybe we should submit a proposal and, and, and tell them, you know, here's some things we can offer you uh, mm. as Black Canadian women mm-hmm. fundraisers in Canada. And so I taught my sister, Nicole, and asked her if she would help me um, put together that proposal and, and provide some examples of some thought leadership that we could contribute. And that turned into a project called Our Right to Heal. And so over the course of 2019, uh, 10 Black Canadian uh, women fundraisers wrote about our right to heal from the racism we suffer and survive inside the charitable sector. In addition to that, we also um, produced a micro learning video on the difference between inclusion and belonging. And we also had an up close um, interview with one of our authors of that project talking more intimately about the experience of developing an autoimmune disorder as a result of the racism she was experiencing inside her organization. And that project, Our Our Right to Heal, was due to launch in January um, uh, of of that year, of the following year. And It didn't. It was delayed for a variety of reasons. But the third reason why it ended up being delayed was due to COVID. Hmm. And so it sort of sent us and everyone else into a bit of a tailspin. We didn't know what was going to to happen. And we certainly had no idea when um, AFP determined that they would launch on May 26th of 2020, what that would come to mean. And so It's very interesting because at the same time, I was thinking to myself, you know, when will this project ever launch and what will be the reception of, you know, to the project. And as you know, on May 25th, um, our dear brother, George Floyd was murdered Mm. and it changed the landscape. It changed the way in which the world could hear the voices of black people. And, and, and so when our right to heal launched into the world, ears were open Mm. and it began to change the way we were dialoguing about race indifference and trauma inside the charitable sector. And there was a parallel happening that uh, Nicole likes to share that sort of brings us right into how Collecting Courage was ushered into the world. Nicole? Thanks, Anika. And, uh, you know, it's it's wonderful uh, to join you on, on the podcast. Uh, so, you know, Anika talks about this parallel track, and certainly when we tell the story of collecting courage, we talk about this because it's uh, it, 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 it's like the convergence of two paths, if you will. So one was our right to heal, and the, on the second track or the second pathway, uh, or the Canadian Black Fundraisers Collective had chosen Gail Pico's book, Cap in Hand, 
as our December 2019 uh, book club selection. And I have uh, years of history with Gail. Uh, so I reached out to Gail to see if she would be able to join us for the discussion. And uh, she she graciously accepted and said, yes, she would be there. And we, we met in, I think it was a, a, a little restaurant in Toronto and we had all this wonderful conversation about her book and 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 you know she was bringing some perspectives to the table and and that sort of thing and uh, Gail at that point floated this idea about you know her interest in 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 finding out what it what it feels like to be black in fundraising mm -hmm. and philanthropy given that the sector is predominantly white and so that's where it was left right she saw these amazing black fundraisers and to see so many black fundraisers in one spot is must mm. have been revolutionary uh, for <laughs> sure yeah. anyway so in february 2020 gail launched the charity report which is an online uh magazine if you will and and then shortly after that she also launched her book Gail K Pico Books which is an imprint of Civil Sector Press so that was happening in February and as Anika said uh, the All Right to Heal uh, project um, got published uh, the day after the murder of George Floyd in, in May mm -hmm. and in June uh, you know Gail reached out to me again uh, that idea that she floated resurfaced and uh, she reached out to me to see uh, to sort of say, hey, you know what, with all that's happening, uh, the global protests, uh, you know, the time was now for us to, to look at that book and to see if we'd be interested in doing it. And um, I immediately said, yes, I'm pretty sure we will. And I reached out to uh, Anika uh, immediately. And of course, she was like, yes, we are doing this. And she then reached out to the, the, the collective to see if we could uh, have some other folks wanting to join us in, in this journey. And uh, we're so pleased that our sister Camilla stepped up to the plate and, and joined us. And, and that's how we became the, the co-editors of the book. Boy, so you started, I mean, you started a, a major conversation that needed to happen, didn't you? All three of you, goodness. Mm -hmm. we uh, what, what, what's, what's your vision for, where this conversation will lead. I mean, Camilla, maybe you could kind of get into that. Like, what, what is the vision for that? Where, where's it going to lead? Where do, what, what do you see? Yeah. Um, thank you for, for inviting us to be here. It's a pleasure. So one of the things I remember was when we were uh, getting together to, to think about the book, how it would look like, um, I remember one, one time I said, oh, I think this is going to be the first of many. Mm -hmm. And this is pretty much because there are so many stories yeah. to, um, that, we, that we need to share with the world. Um, and so, so the, the way we see um, our book, um, our message is, is in the format of more of as a movement. Mm -hmm. um, because as, as I mentioned, there are so many stories out there. I think we we just started the process of sharing our experience, um, and it's it's a movement because it will bring change to the sector. Um, it would also unite, or or it would bring a a community to those who think that they are um, alone which is an experience that we, 
um, all of us have have shared mm-hmm. and have had where you're the only one in your the only black fundraiser um, in your team or in your organization. Mm. Um, so uh, behind behind the movement, the book, there's a community. Um, that is the the Black Canadian Fundraisers Collective, and and there are other communities in the U.S. that were founded by our sisters who are also part of the book. So uh, there is all this that conversations happening right now. So uh, it's definitely just the beginning. So you've you've had uh, I mean quite a few experiences. Uh... And just in processing and collecting these stories, what, what what would each of you say about what experience uh, you've you've? I mean, what's that been like for you all in terms of sharing this book and and uh, and, and you could share positive ones and negative ones. I mean, it'd be interesting to hear. Yeah, the, 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 you know, you go through the range of experiences, right? And I think collecting courage is is certainly uh, showcasing personal journeys, but there's certainly that thread that connects the stories, right? Mm -hmm. And that thread is the impact of racism on black fundraisers, Mm -hmm. right? And it's not something that is uh, unique. Uh, These are conversations that we've had inside, uh, you know, our cluster of friends and other black fundraisers and you start talking and you're exchanging things that are happening to you and then all of a sudden you connect to it, you go, you know, you're nodding your head in agreement, like, I get it. Mm-hmm. I felt that way, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's, that is the, the first thing. Now, so I, I talk about it being a, a personal uh, journey in many ways. And uh, so so my, my, my journey uh, and, and my experience sharing the book will certainly uh, be uh, uh, maybe a little bit different, maybe similar in ways to, to how Anika and Camilla experience it, but uh, there are certain things that I've sort of noticed. You know, the first thing I guess was this uh, sense of freedom and liberation, mm-hmm. right? It, this, we, we knew these stories existed and uh, we needed, we were at a, a point that this could not continue, right? And I think each of us are at a stage in our careers, you know, I, I know Anika and I have more years in than, than Camilla does, uh, but there is a point where you have to sort of say to yourself, uh, something has to be done about this right. because the trauma uh, is is extensive mm. and the impact is long lasting. It's cumulative, right? Mm-hmm. It's not just the one act here, the two acts there. It's the cumulative impact of that. So for me, it was quite liberating that it, uh, and the other part too is we have, brilliant, brilliant brothers and sisters, right? Black people in this sector. And it was an opportunity to, for others to, to, to actually see the brilliance and to try to explain, uh, you know, here it is, you have people who are accomplished fundraisers. They're raising millions of dollars. They're leading teams. They're creating organizations uh, with thousands of members. Uh, and this is their experience, right? So again, this idea of exceptionalism and all of that stuff is, no, every one of us, no matter where we are in our careers, no matter how well we have done, uh, we, have, we have all been scarred and scathed uh, by, by racism at, at some point in our careers. And it, mm. it doesn't necessarily end, right? We, we, still, we, we still feel that. 
Yeah. And I'll turn it over to, to uh, certainly Anika and, and Camilla to weigh in on this one. Yeah, you know, for me, the, the answer always comes back to the dedication in our book, which reads to our black community and all its diversity, our truth, our stories are ours to tell, our voices, our power. We summon you to testify, to document and to share your life. So for me, you know, it, this is a documenting. Mm -hmm. Zora Neale Hurston, author, anthropologist, and filmmaker said, if you are silent about your pain, they will kill you and say you yeah. enjoyed it. And so for me, this book is necessary. It's a necessary testimony. It's an invitation for the continued testifying of what is happening in our very midst. Mm -hmm. And it is an invitation to those who have power to take responsibility and to do something, to act. I think that's one of the amazing things about this book is that the, there's multiple audiences for it. Mm. You, were, you were talking about how for the writer, it was liberating to be able to tell their story. Mm. For the Black fundraiser, it was, oh, there's someone else out there like me mm -hmm. that have gone mm -hmm. through the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then, then the white audience hopefully is looking at it going, I never knew this. I yep. There's something I need to do. I have to change what's happening. And for the first time, as a white person, it's a way of seeing your own whiteness that mm -hmm. you don't see because we just take it for granted that this is the way the world works. Mm -hmm. But to be able to, it, this book was like a mirror of or being able to show this whiteness that is invisible to us white people. Mm -hmm. um, and that's why the book is a gift in so many ways, but it's, it's able to reach so many audiences and not a, and not just white black, but then also, in, you know, the frontline fundraiser to the CEO of a nonprofit to everyone can find something in this, in this book that is going to touch them in some way. Um, but for the, for the black fundraiser who has seen their own pain and experience reflected in these stories, what have you heard from them as they've read this book? What, what's been the feedback from them? And if you could share that, that would be amazing. Yeah. I, you know, each of us, even, you know, the authors, um, share with us the the messages that uh, are received from readers and for me in particular you know when i receive messages from from fundraisers of color or professionals of color who've read the book i'm always so gratified in hearing that they feel seen and heard mm -hmm. they feel seen and heard through our lives I mean, that's powerful. Yeah. You know, not so long ago, maybe two weeks ago, a young woman, young black woman, we don't know, sent us a note on social media and said, this book is life. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, that is just so um, humbling. It is, it, it tells me that 
the value of doing difficult things and sharing difficult truths cannot, cannot be avoided and it must be done. That it gives, um, it gives credence to the lives of other oppressed peoples, whether they be black or brown or indigenous. We've heard from people from all of those groups mm -hmm. saying they can see their lives in these stories. And it mm -hmm. gives them encouragement that they can survive and that there is community, mm -hmm. community out here for them to be rooted in, to find safety in, to find, to, to rest in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I so, I so agree with that, uh, Anika, because uh, as you point out, right, we're hearing from diverse people of diverse backgrounds, um, racialized people. Uh, it, they may not, uh, you know, sort of have that firsthand, uh, or they think they don't have that sort of firsthand impact and uh, of, of racism. But a lot of times they're talking about, you know, being sexually assaulted uh, by, you know, uh, just sexual misconduct in the sector, right? They're talking mm -hmm. about different issues, whether or not it's uh, disability rights, right? People and fundraisers who are have disability uh, challenges, uh, they face barriers. So it's opening up a conversation that uh, is really wide, right? And it's, it's a conversation that is, is definitely needed. The other thing, you know, Anika points out about this, well, validating, and just so the audience knows, is that while it might be validating, it's still uh, emotional as you read the book. Mm -hmm. And we've gotten so much feedback from people who have said exactly that. It's, you know, I, I had one, one person sort of say, listen, I, I am so happy I have the book, but I had to put down my copy of Collecting Courage halfway through because it was so emotionally mm -hmm. impactful. Mm -hmm. And that is real. And we've heard that people, it's not a very long book, right? You can literally sit down, I think, and read it in an evening, right? Uh, but it's, it's, it's a heavy book because it pulls you into these experiences in ways that uh, you're, you're, you, you would not have known that these things are happening. And I think, uh, you know, Richard and Jeff, when you talked about the book being a gift, yeah. um, you know, that's the whole idea, right? Because it, it meets you wherever you are in your journey and it has something to offer. And uh, so, you know, the, the, the point is that these things are happening in the sector. Uh, people are reacting to it. Mm -hmm. And it's important for us to make sure that our voices uh, continue to raise this issue. Yeah. At the same time, some people have come forward. There's also been silence, right? Yeah. So yeah. people you would expect to hear something from, a lot of them have not said anything, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. you know, we're, we're combating two things, right? There's, there's a silence. Uh, it's either, you know, is it a fear of coming out and saying something uh, that you're not sure you should be saying? Or is it just... Uh, wishing that the book didn't exist and maybe if you don't say anything about it something will go away well this mm. as, as Camilla said it's a movement mm -hmm. it's not going away yeah one of the things uh that I felt was most enlightening enlightening to us as two middle-aged white men is 
this, uh, the stories about microaggressions and just mm-hmm. outright aggression and how frequently it happens. So it would be great if you could explain what microaggressions are for those that don't understand that and maybe share some examples from the book or your own experience and speak to the long-term impact that has on Black fundraisers. Well, I can, let, let me lean in on the, on the definition. Okay. I, I think language is so important. And in, in this conversation, like other really important conversations, we have to name things for what they are. And microaggressions are some, is racism. Yeah. You know, Ibram Kendi writes about that in his book. He says, what other people call racial microaggressions, I call racist abuse. Mm-hmm. And I call the zero tolerance policies preventing and punishing these abusers what they are, anti-racist. Only racists shy away from the R word. Racism is steeped in denial. And I think we have to always remember racism is steeped in denial. And so we wanna make sure that we're using language mm-hmm. that, that, that resists the denial. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think it's interesting to, to understand. I think it's important to understand how racism manifests both covertly and overtly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think the question you're asking is what about that covert racism? Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And, yep. you know, from my own experience, you know, I have experienced everything from being sent a book entitled nigger in the inner office mail. Mm. Wow. Wrapped in brown paper because mm. a colleague thought I might be interested in reading it. Everything from that to the president of a board changing policies that would only negatively impact me. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so, you know, I think the examples, they abound. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And um, I think the most important thing is to believe Black people when they point out racism, believe Mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. Just because you might not see what they are saying happened, or you can't see what they're describing doesn't make it untrue. Right. You know, the reality is nobody knows better than we do what we suffer and survive. So Nika, you just said to, to, uh, to believe, do mm-hmm. you, do you feel like there's that folks don't believe like when, when, when a black person says, Hey, this is what's going on. Is there like skepticism? In Canada, absolutely, 100%. We, I mean, literally over this last 18 months, there has been a debate in Canada about whether or not anti-Black racism exists. I mean, we have provinces that are really? saying it does not exist. There's oh debate God. happening. So 100%, the voices of Black people and our, our lived experiences is, is, is continually scrutinized and 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 not believed this counted for something else (laughs) yeah and i'm gonna jump in in that that piece here uh uh, and and the way we know that we're not believed is when something happens and you're having a conversation about it or you're bringing it to your director because i've been in that situation and you've asked questions over and over and over and over again 
Mm-hmm. And then you start wondering, are you uh, trying to uh, see if I'm going to tell the same story again? Are you trying to say, you know, to get me to reflect if that really happened? Are you, why are you keep asking me the same things over and over? And mm-hmm. when I'm, I'm when I already told you twice what what happened. So um, I also feel like there's uh, in in many situations there is that approach where oh you might be too sensitive, you might be um, mm-hmm. you you're you're just reading too much into it. Really, if that was said to you, how would you feel? That's all. That's that's usually my immediate. Uh, uh, response. If that was with you, how would you feel? Oh, and then it changes. Interesting. So for you, it would have been like I am telling you, but for me, it cannot be what I'm saying. So it, 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 it's not even logical. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in, in, in situations where you are getting ready to uh, a donor meeting and, uh, and we had a donor meeting and there was a conversation about who the donor was. And I'm thinking, uh, I know who the donor is because I've been working on that relationship. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm very like, I'm, you know, I know who the person is. I, I know the level of that person. I know the ver- per- person is a VP, but then you start reading more into it. Like, oh, I see where you're going. And so the conversation added up into, you know, this is a very upscale place. This is, you know, there's some, attire, uh, like, like policies to the point where I was just like, oh, you're actually telling me how I'm supposed to dress. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely unacceptable. So those are the, those. And, and again, I'm thinking you would not tell any, another person mm-hmm. how to dress to go to a donor meeting. Um, so those are some of the situations that I, I've been um, in that it, it, it really bothers you. Uh, and and in, in many of them, because you're in the beginning of your career sometime, uh, I was in that situation, um, you don't, um, you end up not saying anything. Mm-hmm. And I think that's when it's, the aggression is even worse because then you keep thinking about that for days. Because mm-hmm. uh, that happens often like you just that keeps going to your mind over and over and over and over um and it's so it it it, it affects your, your your mental health mm-hmm. um, well, the, the, inter- the interesting thing about this whole belief believing thing so it, it so 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 jeff this didn't dawn on me before when we were reading the book and going through all this but it was like it's just the act of just believing mm-hmm. is something you can do. Mm. Instead of yeah. jumping right away to, well, that can't be. Mm. Uh, because just because yeah. that act alone is, is, is damaging and bruising yep. and hurtful. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very. Yeah. That's, that's why I think, uh, you know, this book is so enlightening for us white people in leadership, especially um, because these stories, I, I, I like, I'm just like Krishana's Palmer's 
mm-hmm. chapter on mistaking pain for resilience mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. incredibly eye-opening. And I could feel mm-hmm. as I'm reading this, mm-hmm. the pain that she's experiencing. And it's like these covert, this covert racism that happens every day in the office in, in, in ways that white people don't even understand it. Mm-hmm. until it's brought out. And that's why this book is so powerful because it shows all these little things that we as white people might not even think about, but mm-hmm. for the black fundraiser sitting there at their desk, it's it, they carry it with them. And then, then they're supposed to just forget about it and go meet a donor. <laughs> yeah. And then the next day it all happens again. And this, particular chapter of, of, of hers was just so powerful because she didn't realize the pain that this was causing her until it physically just wore her down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And she was in bed and she couldn't get out of bed mm-hmm. after years of every day having to do this. And I was just like, you read this, how could you not now, not, I mean, now, when you read this book as a white person, you cannot not see this. Well, that's the hope, right? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's the hope. And I think that's the beauty of the book, right? Because people can be in denial. People can, you know, they excuse away behaviors uh, that it's clearly uh there's no excuse, there's no, uh, you know, there's no running around what is happening. And I think the beauty of of the accounts you read here, it's it, it leaves it up to to the reader, right? Here's what yeah. happened. Yeah. You think about that. How do you explain this away, right? And I think it puts it out there. So that's what I I, I love about the firsthand accounts is it, it leaves it up to people to interpret what this was because we have been hearing so many times that are you sure that's what happened? That could was not the intent. Mm-hmm. You're just mm-hmm. reading things. You know what I mean? You're you're reading more into things than is it, than it exists. And and sometimes part of it is you know the players. You you will start thinking to yourself, well, is it just me? Is it was I really you know maybe 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 it's all maybe it's all in my head. Right. And I think this is what I love about the book is it puts the experiences out there and you can interpret it like you try to explain that away. You try to excuse that away. I think it's really difficult to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, especially when you consider that all of the authors wrote in isolation. Yeah. And so, you know, our authors did not read the final version of, they didn't read, they didn't read any version of the book until one week before it was published. That was- What was that like? What, so when they finally all got together to read this, Mm -hmm. what happened? We we planned a celebration, first of all. You know, it had to be a party. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. And, uh, and we, we, as editors, we really took the opportunity um, to celebrate each of them in really unique ways. Uh, I don't know if you gentlemen know this, but we have a playlist on our website, yeah. reflectingcourage.org. And so we as editors selected those songs 
with each author in mind, mm-hmm. um, with their story in mind. And they didn't know that, right? And so we also had social media assets. So we sort of did a bit of a presentation for each one of them. And we invited the edification of all the authors to share with that one author. And we went through everyone. <laughs> so yeah. we were we were there for hours, but it was <laughs> a beautiful celebration we danced and we laughed and we cried and we it was beautiful Mm. that's awesome all right so it's dying on me you know in this conversation that one of the big things white leaders can do is create a safe environment for people to to say stuff but secondly to also believe them when they say it Mm. i mean i mean that's that's just one little point that's been interesting to me in this conversation. But here's a question for you all. So the, so what would you say to white leaders who are wanting to shift culture and address these issues that we've been talking about? What, what would you all say to them? Mm, yeah. Go ahead, Nicole. Yeah, I, I can just sort of and, and, and jump in. Like, uh, you know, the, the, the thing is now that you're aware Right now that this book is out there and you're aware of the impact mm-hmm. and you're aware of these experiences, what are you prepared to do? Right. This this is about a personal journey. Right. And it's about behaviors and shifting behaviors. And it's 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 not good enough or sufficient enough for for there to just be an acknowledgement that this happens, uh, because we know that uh these experiences continue today, right? It's, it's, it's not that, okay, this book came out and everything has stopped, right? This book is out and black fundraisers, um, certainly fundraisers of color, indigenous fundraisers, as I said, uh, they're facing this every single day. So the, the, the call to action is you have, now that you've heard it, now that you've seen it, now that you have absorbed it, what are you prepared to do? Because something has mm-hmm. got to change. It cannot continue, right? And we talk about some of these, uh, you know, we, we, we mentioned about this cumulative impact, right? You know, the stories and, and the experiences shared, it's not just a one-off thing. It's years of absorbing all of this, right? Yeah. And we have young fundraisers coming up today, young black fundraisers and, and the stories they're telling, right? So the, the fundraisers who are more seasoned, let me put it that way, mm-hmm. we're hearing stories that we're saying, is this really going on? Like, come on, mm. what year is it, right? So it mm. is happening. And I think, uh, you know, for, 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 for white leaders is you cannot just take this story in, these experiences in, and walk away. Yeah. You have to come at it with some bravery. You have to come at it with some humility. And you have to examine and 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 you know be reflective. Position yourselves in these stories and how you may have reacted, what behaviors you may have exhibited in the past. And this is an opportunity to grow, right? It's a journey. So reflect on past behaviors, current behaviors, and say to yourself, you know what, I'm sorry, forgive yourselves, but then come up with um, an action plan is like, how are you going to change? What 
behaviors are you going to change? And be very specific and intentional about it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really vital that white leaders think about this through the lens of risk, mm. because after all, racism is against the law. Mm -hmm. Racism is against the law. And so how are we as leaders upholding that law? The law, how are we doing that? Mm -hmm. As it relates to the environments we create in our organizations and the impact that those environments have on the people we hire. I'd also say, you know, there is a role and a responsibility for white people who don't necessarily see themselves as having power. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and I would encourage them to begin caucusing with other white people. You know, the notion of caucusing is a really powerful way to explore the impact of racism and white supremacy culture in a way that doesn't do harm right, mm. to, to black and brown or indigenous people. You know, caucus, caucusing is also a tool and a, and a, and a mechanism for uh, communities of color, people of color as well. But white people can do it too and it can be really productive learning environment for them as they begin to understand their role and responsibility um, as it relates to the organizational environment as well. And I just want to add one, one tiny bit to what my sisters have just uh, shared. Mm -hmm. I think one of the, well, even though I, can't, I knew about the experience because I had been through a lot of the, um, the racism in the sector, but a lot of, but you've seen through, throughout the book that uh, we talk about fitting in a lot. Mm -hmm. And this is mostly because there's no value to our lived experience. So one thing that I think I would say is to it's it's in regards to um, really changing the structure of the the nonprofit sector. This isn't a, a, a place that was not created for black people. It's a predominantly white space. Mm -hmm. so maybe we need to we need to start rethinking that space and how we see other people in that space mm -hmm. so we need to respect what they bring to the table um, we need to start valuing their their lived experiences um, and giving them real opportunities um, I think that's exceptionally key for new fundraisers because Many will start, many black fundraisers will start in a couple of years, they'll leave the sector. Yeah. Because you just, you, you can't do it. Um, so I would, yeah, I would, I would ask them to reflect on that on top of the absolutely important things that they've shared, of course, my, uh, Anika and Nicole, but reflect on that space, on, on what is our space within that space. Um, yeah, I, I, you know what, I, I can tell you a couple of things they shouldn't do though, right? The, do not, do not, here's a, here's, here's the tip. Do not form a committee to look at 
DEI and they think that <laughs> don't, you know, it's all don't preach. Don't preach. preach. Don't, yeah, yeah, exactly. Don't go to yeah. if you have a black employee uh, in your organization, don't go to them looking for the answers. Yes. Right? Don't don't put that burden on them and that mm-hmm. weight on them. No. They're they're carrying yeah. a weight already, both mm-hmm. in the workplace and outside of the workplace, right? So don't do a couple th- those two things. Like if if, if that's your first reaction uh a tip mm-hmm. don't do that yeah do the work don't get do them the to work. do the work you do the work mm-hmm. yes mm-hmm. yeah if we, all, if we all just took responsibility for our own learning and did the work mm-hmm. how would the world look different oh mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. also it's about listening mm-hmm. and yep. it's about creating safety in the environment and then mm-hmm. it's about believing Mm-hmm. and then taking action mm-hmm. yeah 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 yep. and listen again and keep right. going right right and that's why this book again is a gift but it's also dangerous <laughs> it's dangerous uh for those of us who are white because um after reading these stories you you have to change you have to be different. You have to act. Um, and so just picking the book up is going to mean that something's going to change afterwards. You, there, I, I just can't imagine reading the book and then forgetting about it. It, it would, I, I just can't imagine it. Um, so again, uh, what you have done by bringing these good people together to share their stories bravely is amazing. Um, and before, before we wrap up our conversation today, I just want to make sure our audience knows where they can get this book, Collecting Courage, and how they can connect with you. And is there anything coming up in the new year that you want to share with us? Yeah, absolutely. We'd love it if your uh, listeners would reach out to us through collectingcourage.org. There's um, information about all the authors and there's also new stories that have been added that have been written uh, since the book was published that are that you can find there. And, and certainly um, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn at Anika Allen. Nicole? Yeah, same, same here. Uh, I think it's Nicole Salmon one uh, on LinkedIn, but uh, we'll make sure it's in the show notes, hopefully. <laughs> yeah. And Camila? Yeah. And mine is Camila Pereira. It should, yeah, you should be able to find me. Excellent. And what's, uh, what are, what is, what is your next project that you're working on? <laughs> well, it's we're really working on something. Yeah. Yeah. We are always working on something. Well, we're, we're in the process of developing something to answer the question that we've heard a lot of white people ask us, which is, so what do I do now? Mm-hmm. So stay yeah. tuned for what's to come in 2022. Awesome. Cool. Well, thank you for joining us today, Richard. This yes. has been thank you. amazing. Yes, it has. It's very, very good information. I've even learned some stuff. Wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. All right. And thank you listeners for being with us and uh, we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us for the Nothing But Major Gifts podcast from Veritas Group. 
Richard and Jeff also write an ongoing blog that you can subscribe to for free at VeritasGroup.com. Please join us again next time.